Matthew 6, we're, we're continuing to wrap our minds around this idea of biblical prayer. What is prayer? Uh, and although it can, it can be a nice, uh, a nice thought, praying in the Bible is more than simply talking to God. Praying is specifically asking God to do something. And so then once we found out what prayer was, we started looking at how do you pray. So we've got all these ideas floating around about what prayer is. Everyone wanting to tell you what prayer is and how to do it. And we thought, well, let's go to what the Bible says. Let's let the Bible explain to us what prayer is and, and how believers are supposed to pray. And so we started looking at how to pray and we began by looking at how not to pray. Uh, And so in our great prayer journey, we begin by telling each other how not to do it. And the reason we did that is why? Because when Jesus was first instructing uh, his disciples on how to pray, he instructed them in how not to pray. Uh, And so we did the same thing. We started looking at things that can hinder our prayers. So there are things that keep us from praying that the Bible specifically says They keep us from praying. I'm sure we could add to this list multiple things that have kept us from praying. But remember, Scripture explicitly mentions, remember, the prayer ADD uh, worked out well. Uh, Either it was going to be prayer ADD or prayer dad. And it just seemed bad for prayer dad to be a bad thing. So uh, abundance, that abundance, abundance can cause us to not pray, to take our minds off of even praying to begin with. A doubt can cause us to not pray. Disobedience, those are all things that that don't ruin prayer, that just keep us from praying to begin with. Uh, So those are things that will keep us from praying. And then we saw ways not to pray. And we walked through Jesus' discussions here to begin with in the Sermon on the Mount to start. We looked at the danger uh, of praying in front of others uh, with your mind on them instead of on the one you're talking to. We saw Jesus warn about the danger of long prayers. And we saw that the Lord's Prayer is actually meant to be a model of praying a short prayer. That you can pray the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, and you can get it done in 10 seconds. Uh, And that's if you take your time. Uh, So the Lord is setting up this example of being careful of long prayers, again, in order to impress either others or to try and impress God. That's specifically what he mentions in Matthew 6. He says, "You're, you're treating me like the pagans, thinking that by repeating over and over, you think of the prophets of Baal, uh, you that, that, that you're going to get my attention by your constant uh, repetition of that. We saw the danger of doubting prayers in the book of James. Uh, we saw the danger of praying for the wrong reasons. When we've got worldward prayers rather than Godward prayers. And then we saw the danger of praying when our lives are filled with sin. All of those things will ru- are ways not to pray, right? Don't pray uh, with your mind on others, thinking about them. Don't pray long prayers. Don't pray prayers filled with doubt. Don't pray for the wrong reasons, thinking about worldly things rather than Godward things. And then don't pray it with lives filled with, uh, with sin. But now, now we're on actually how to pray. And so that's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks, or it might be a few months by now. I don't know. Uh, but we're walking through the Lord's Prayer. The Lord lays out a model for us. When you pray, say this. When you pray, say he actually does it, remember, on two different occasions. He does it uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he also does it when his disciples ask him how to pray. And both times, both times he lays out this same prayer. When you pray, pray like this. And so we thought, man, if Jesus thought this prayer was such a model prayer, that he gives it to us twice, right? He doesn't even just give it to us once. He gives it to us twice. We had better focus on what is it about this prayer? that sets the standard for all prayers to come. What is it that if we pray this prayer, this is the model for our prayer life. And so we've started walking through uh, this Lord's Prayer, seeing what we're meant to ask, who we're meant, we began by looking at who we're talking to, our Father in heaven. Remember, even that is packed with biblical truth, realizing that God We don't just pray to God. We pray to our Father. Uh, And He's not just my Father. We don't pray my Father in heaven. We pray our Father in heaven. And He's not just our Father. Again, He's our Father where? In heaven. All of those things are going to impact how we think about prayer and the value of prayer and the power of prayer. And then we started looking at the things that Jesus told us to ask for. We saw that we need to ask for God's name to be hallowed for it to be holified, 
that God's name would be one considered worthy of glory and honor and praise, that his name would be lifted up. And we saw how important it was if we're going to pray that for our lives to be doing that. Uh, if we want God's name to be hallowed, then our lives need to be hallowing his name. The Bible says that's one of the things that will cause the nations to glorify the name of God is when your life is glorifying the name of God, when his own people are hallowing his name by the way that they live. And then we saw, not just that we hallow his name, but we prayed that his kingdom would come, that his kingdom would be here. We saw the revolutionary nature of that prayer, that when you go throughout scripture from the beginning of time, you see mankind rejecting the kingdom of God and its king. And yet now, because God has changed our hearts, we now want his kingdom to come. We want the king and we want his kingdom. And we saw the value of both of those things in scripture that the Bible lays out. The reason we want the kingdom of God to come is because of the king who comes with it. And the reason we want the kingdom of God to come is because of the great kingdom that he's going to bring. And so we are able to pray with gusto now, with renewed hearts, Father, your kingdom come. Your, as we said, your, your always already and advancing kingdom uh, of God. And so that's what we looked at. That's what we've looked at now for the past uh, several, several weeks. So let me ask you, how has your prayer life changed in those several weeks? Uh, when you see that we, we spent, you know, a few months looking at Jesus teaching us what the Bible has already taught us, the importance of hallowing the name of God. How have your prayers been filled with calls for God's name to be hallowed? Uh, how has, how have, has your prayer life changed to now include more of praying that his kingdom would come? Or have you sort of fallen back into your old prayer style? Maybe now, maybe you've, you've, Jesus laid out this model and said, hey, when you pray, say this. And you prayed that, you know, when we were talking about those things and you really focused on his kingdom when we were preaching on it. And we really focused on hallowing his name for a week or two weeks, but... But you've really since then dropped off. Let me encourage you. Don't forget these things that the Lord says are the model things for us to pray. Uh, we don't just want to hallow. We don't just want to pray for his name to be hallowed for the two months that we look at it. We don't just want to pray for his kingdom to come for the brief amount of time that our church is, is looking at those things. Let, the, let these things be a, a part of your prayer life constantly, repetitively. Uh, that we say, if Jesus says it's important for us to pray, then uh, pray for these things, then that's what we're going uh, to pray for. So we're praying. What should we pray for in the Lord's Prayer? We pray for God's name to be hallowed. We pray for his kingdom to come. Now we're on to the third request. And so let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Although you might be like, can we go back over the first two? I'm not doing very well. Let's go back over those till we get them down uh, like, like we do in school. Uh, all right, we're starting this lesson all over again. Uh, but let's look at uh, this whole prayer and we'll focus on the third thing Jesus commands us to ask of God. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come today and we do ask our father, the father of each of us here, the one who has given us life, the one who has adopted us into his family and into his kingdom. God, I pray that your name would be hallowed. Hallowed everywhere, hallowed in this church, hallowed in our lives, hallowed across, uh, across this globe, that your glory would cover the earth like waters cover the sea. We long for that, Father. We want your name to be lifted up everywhere and by everyone, including us. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come. Father, we pray that, that you would reign over everything and everyone, that you, your, our king, would come and reign over us perfectly and forever. We pray that this kingdom would advance. We pray that this kingdom of God would, would leaven this earth like a loaf, that like a mustard seed it would sprout until the birds can nest in its branches. We ask these things, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So now we're on to this third one. Now we're praying your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the third thing that Jesus says to be asking in our prayers. Pray that God's name would be hallowed. Pray that your father's name would be hallowed. Pray that your father's kingdom would come. And now your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God, right? Uh, There is perhaps uh, no more confusing subject for the Christian's life than the question of what is God's will, right? Uh, As as your pastor, I know uh, that sometimes you become worried saying, well, I've got these choices laid in front of me and I just want to know what's the will of God or you're, you're beginning to, you've got a situation that comes up in your life and you don't understand why and you're wanting to know what is God's will? Why is this happening? What is he bringing into uh, my life? I mean, when you think about what do, what do Christians, I remember when I was, when I say what do Christians, I assume that every Christian grew up the same as me, right? Uh, by Christians, I mean, we're all the same, right? Well, what do we normally, I'll tell you what I normally thought growing up. This is how I thought of God's will. See if yours is, is much different. For me, the idea of God's will was there was for every decision that I made, there was a perfect plan of God that I did not know. Right. In a decision, one would be God's will and the other would lead down some nefarious path uh, in my life. Now, my goal was to discover his will and make me decision and make decisions that would lead into it, lead into that will. If I don't, then I would be out of the will of God. So how did I find that out? There were, I would look for promptings, things that would pop up in my life and I'd go, ah, this is the Lord showing me that this is his will. Or I'd look for some outward sign that would show me, oh, this is God's will. And then how did I know I made the right choice? I would feel either inner peace about it or there would be some sort of outward success. Unfortunately, that's not how the Bible depicts the will of God, nor how Christians are supposed to deal with the will of God when we're talking about praying that his will will be done. So what does it mean when we say, God, your will be done? Well, just on a very simple level, God's will is someone's will is what they want to happen. All right, so someone's will is what they want to take place. And so God's will is what God wants to happen, what he desires, what he determines to happen. So what are we praying when we say your will be done? We're saying that we want what God wants. We want God to do what he wants. We know that God's will, his, his perfect uh, will, his desires, they're all perfect. They're all, uh, and because they're perfect, we want them to take place. So when we say your will be done, that's what we're saying. God, we want you to do what you want. We want your will, your perfect will to always be done both on earth as it is in heaven. But before we can talk about God's will being done, we have to understand what the will of God is in the first place, the will of God specifically. So what is the will of God? And that's what we'll talk about this week and next week, knowing God's will. As Christians, again, sometimes we can talk about God's will as if we don't know what it is, even that we can't know what it is. And we end up thinking that all of God's will is that way. You just never know what God wants. You never know what he desires. And so you just kind of choose what you think is the best and you hope that you determine the right thing. So in the end, here's examples that I've been given about how to think of God's will. One is that people think of God's will like a corn maze. Like you're walking in this corn maze and you can't see, you don't know what the, we love corn. This is a corn maze season. So this is a very apt, uh, uh, you're like, I was just in a corn maze. Uh, So you're going through, you don't, and you get to a a bifurcation in the rows, right? And you don't know, should I go to the right or to the left? I don't know which way is going to lead to the end of the maze and which way is going to keep me in this hot 110 degree Oklahoma humidity uh, for 15 more minutes. Uh, And so that's kind of how, and we can't know because the rows are too high. and, And sometimes that's how we view the will of God. We're kind of walking and we can't see anything else. We just know we have a choice. And so we just blindly choose one way or the other. For some people, they view God's will like a tightrope. So we're walking our Christian life 
and we're wanting to obey God, but man, it's a very slim line. And even when you're wanting to walk the right way, you never know when that rope is going to veer one way, then whoa, you know, and you're trying to, you're wobbling back and forth, trying so desperately to stay in God's will, but it's like an impossible task. And you better hope there's a net uh, down there somewhere. For others, uh, God's will is seen uh, like a magic eight ball. You know, like, uh, God, what do you want me to do with my job? You just kind of shake it up and, you know, God's going to sort of lay this, some thought in your head, you know, uh, future doesn't look too bright or, uh, yes or no, or I don't, I, does anyone, do they still make magic eight balls? Is that still a thing? I don't know. It's like witchcraft at a store. I don't know if you can, if you can do it, but for some people, that's how, for me, uh, God's will was like a choose your own adventure book. Do you guys remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure? You'd be reading, you'd come to a decision, and and at the bottom of the page it would say, if you open the door, turn to page 58. If you turn back, turn to page 39. And so you wouldn't have, so you'd turn to page, you'd say, I'm going to open the door. You'd turn to page 58 and it'd say, there's a crocodile in there, you die. And it's like, ah, man, I should have known there was going to be a crocodile behind that door. And then turn back to page 38 and you go, okay, now I've got another choice to make. And another, for some of us, that's how we think of the will of God. We think, okay, I'm going through life and I've got this decision to make. And I don't know, even though I'm wanting to do the right thing, on the other side of this door of this decision could be just a horrible outcome for my life. So when we pray, your will be done, often we think we're praying about some super secret, unknowable will of God uh, that for many of us, we then don't even know what we're asking for. We don't even know when we say your will be done. Like, I don't really know what that is. But the Bible actually tells us a lot about the will of God, uh, a lot about God's will and what his desire is for us and for creation as a whole. Uh, And so we're going to see two types of the will of God. Uh, mentioned in scripture one is the one that we tend to think about and the other is the one that we've actually got quite a bit of information on we're going to see the secret will of God and the revealed will of God Bible talks about two of those there is the secret will of God there's the will of God that you don't that you don't know but that normally doesn't involve personal decisions in your life like like God's got you know if you choose this job and again we're assuming that the job you're you're choosing to follow that that everything else is is equal that you're not just choosing a job and you're like ah who knows what the churches are like down there I'm sure it'll be fine uh, or you're not choosing a job that's going to take you away from your family forever I mean those things might have negative consequences but but the, 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 the secret will of God is dealing with God's plans for creation, plans for this world, for eternity, for time itself. Then there's the revealed will of God, things that God shows us about. We see both of these wills in Deuteronomy 29. So turn to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is that passage where we at least know the very first part of it, right? The secret things belong to God, right? That's normally where we end. But we actually see that there are things that belong to us as well. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are things that God has not revealed. Now we're going to see that some of this is going to change post Christ. So some of the not revealed will of God that it talks about in Deuteronomy 29 has been revealed. The mystery of God's will has been made manifest in many ways through Christ Jesus. Uh, But there are things that we don't know. Uh, Again, normally this this is things like uh, when it comes to events, we often don't know the why or the how, those sorts of things that we, we don't know. Think of, of Job as a great example of someone who didn't know the secret will of God in his life. He didn't know why God was doing these things. And if you remember the end of the book of Job, he's never told by God why God, God's not like, all right, so one day, you know, Satan comes up and, you know, he, Job never finds out these things. But although the secret will of God is normally what we sit and worry about, there is another will of God that is God's main concern for our lives, his revealed will. It's even God's main concern in this verse. I always find it interesting that in Deuteronomy 29, we only know the secret will part when most of the verse is about his revealed will. Like there are things, he's like, there are things that belong to God, but 
the things that are revealed, they belong to you. And not only do they belong to you, they belong to your children and they belong to you and your children forever. For what purpose? So that you might do them. So really Deuteronomy 29, 29 is not about the secret things of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is about all the, all the things that God has revealed and the expectation that he has revealed them to you and to your children so that you might obey them, so that you might do them. Uh, those are the things that belong to us. So when we pray, your will be done. When we're praying that, we're praying that both God's secret will and God's revealed will would be accomplished. That both his secret and revealed will would be accomplished. But since those are two very different things, with two very different requirements for us and very different expectations for us, we're going to talk about each one of those separately because how you pray for God's secret will is different from how you pray for God's revealed will. Because the secret will is what? Secret. And so it's going to involve a little bit more from you in terms of, of, well, you're going to see what it's going to involve in just a second. Uh, A little bit more of your heart involved because he doesn't give you everything. As opposed to God's revealed will, where he tells you what his will is. And as you're praying for those things, you pray for them and then do them. With God's secret will, you can't pray it and then do it because you don't know it. But with God's revealed will, you pray it, you see that it's been revealed to you and to your children for the purpose that you might accomplish it. Uh, So let's first talk about the secret will of God and how we can pray for it. I think the first person we can turn to is Job. And we'll see the first attitude when it comes to secret prayer, the first thing. And how do we, how do we pray for God's secret will to be on God? How do I pray the, the things you're going to do that I know nothing about, right? I'm, I'm praying your will be done and I don't know what that's going to mean for me. I don't know what your will is for my life. I don't know if, if your will is going to involve some great success on my part and, and, and huge blessing. Or if your will for my life is that my life deal with some horrible tragedy. How do I pray your will be done? How do I deal knowing that when I'm asking God, do your will, that your will might bring into my life great suffering? How do I pray that and mean it and actually mean it? Because we can all pray it. But as we're praying it, we're saying, God, your will be done. But make sure your will's not this and not this and not that and not that. God, your will be done. But let me go ahead and tell you what your will is. Let me go ahead and give you some advice on, on, on how I'd like your will to go. How can we blindly pray your will be done when we know nothing about it? First thing we're going to learn from Job is to pray it with humility. You pray this prayer trusting in God's secret will. We have to pray it in humility. Look at Job chapter 42 verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord. This is is after Job's done everything. This is the end of the book. Right? He's had his conversations with his friends. He's even talked to God. And then God has answered him back. Uh, And what do we get at the end here uh, of the book? Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered. What I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. We see here from Job a, a twofold humility toward God. Twofold. Then I think both of them are essential. The first is the recognition about who God is. That God is sovereign and can do what he wants without our questioning. And that's the first thing he says. You're God. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you don't need my counsel. Who can give counsel to you? I know. I know that you're God and I know that you can do anything you want. And that you do not need my advice. So I know the first part of this humility is recognizing who God is. And that's all. Look, if you want to, if you want, if you want good biblical humility, it always begins with fixing your eyes on the Lord. You fix your eyes on God and you are not going to walk out of that encounter proud. 
right? I mean, you, you just see people seeing angels and they're like melting to the ground, like big biblical heroes. Uh, and, and the idea that, that we would go into the presence of the Lord, like Isaiah, like we're not going to walk in the presence of the Lord and see even the, the train of his robe. And we're not going to walk out of there thinking, man, I've got it made. So the first step in praying your will be done, like with Job, is recognizing the sovereignty of God, is humbly recognizing God's sovereignty, and then also recognizing that we in our pride often think that we can give God advice about what should happen. That, and the, the reason, and the, the, the Bible will talk about this as, as great uh, idolatry, the Bible will say that this is, this, is why, this is why anxiety, it says, is really pride. And this is why it says that anxiety at its root is really pride. Because what? Anxiety is saying, God, I know how I would like my life to go, but I also know you haven't texted me. Uh, and ask for, you know, my guidance. And I, you know, I, I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're taking down notes when I pray these things about what I'd like to have happen. So if you're trying to determine where my life would go and you're up there thinking, I'm sure your best thoughts, I don't know if you've thought this one yet. Uh, that's the pride involved with anxiety because in the end we go, I don't know if he's listening. I don't know if he's going to do this. What if he does this? That's not near as good for me as if he'd done this, my idea for what my life would be. And that's what Job is saying here. He said, am I thinking that I am going to give counsel to you? Am I thinking that I would question your will for my life? So there needs to be an aspect of humility when we think about God's will. God, I don't know your will, but I am humble enough to pray for your will to be done because I know who you are and I know who I am. And I know your will will always be better than mine. We've got to be humble enough to realize that God's will even supersedes our good desires. So even if we want something good, even if we want something good, we have to be humble enough to say, God, even when I want something good to take place, your will is going to be better even than my good desire. So take, for example, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, this is a great verse. The gospel is like leaping across uh, the world and, uh, and, and spreading to all of the, the known world here. Acts 16, and they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. What? Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you've got Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke. They're all on their way to preach the gospel in Asia. Well, good thing, right? But what does God do? It was not God's will for them to speak the gospel in Asia. And so God stops them. They don't know why. Preaching the gospel is a good thing, but God had other plans. They're not told when they're kept from going into Asia. They're not told why. They're not told that, you know, hey, let me lay this out. It's not till later when they have this vision that God says, hey, you go to Macedonia and you help them. God's will trumped even their good desire to take the gospel to a lost nation. God's will was trumping even that. So no matter, if, if God's will can trump something like that, God's will can be better than no matter what good thing you can, even if you think it's a great thing that you're wanting to do and God's not letting you do this great thing, I really want to do this wonderful thing for you, Lord. And you've got your own version of this wonderful, maybe your own version of preaching in Asia, so to speak. And God, by his will, doesn't let that happen. We have to be humble enough to say, God, your will be done, even when your will seems to be stopping a good intention that I have. I mean, it was good. God's not like, hey, I can't believe you wanted to preach the gospel to the Asians. Like, what are you doing? That's, you know, it's Turkey. You know, uh, no one, I mean, you gotta watch out for those people. It was a good thing they wanted to do. 
and yet it was not God's will for it to be done at that moment by them. And that was better. That was better. It would have been worse if they had gone to Asia and preached when God had told them not to. How about Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10? We see this, this desire to do things. Or we think Paul, right? This great godly guy. It says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So here, Paul wants to come and see these Romans. He wants to see them. He's been praying it for a long time. And he's saying, maybe at last, fine. In other words, he's been praying this for a while. And still, God is not letting him meet these people yet. Not letting him be with this church. We know why. Because God has a plan for him to to be there and meet them uh, for an extended period leading up to his death. I mean, this would be a good good and loving thing. He's going to talk about later in Romans how this will refresh me and it'll refresh you. He's not like, oh, I can't wait to preach in Rome. That's the big time, right? He's not like, oh, man, I've been, I got tired of these little places like Galatia and Phrygia. I can't wait to hit Rome uh, or something like that. That's not what he's doing. He wants to see them, these people that he's, that he's shared the gospel with, that he's seen grow. He wants to know them more and better. But he also knows that that is ultimately not up to him. So even Paul, wanting something good, recognizes, but it's got to be God's will for it to happen. I'm praying that it might be God's will, but I don't want it to happen unless it is God's will. So, so there's this humility, even in Paul, even in Paul wanting good things as the gospel is spreading and exploding him to humbly say, God, you're God, I'm not. And your will is better than mine. And you will work out everything that I don't know, but you'll work it out perfectly. Not because I know the what, but I know the who. And because I know you, I don't need to know the what. And that leads us to our second response to God's secret will, which is trust. So when we're praying, your will be done. And we know as we pray this, we're praying for things we have no idea about. We have no idea what God's going to do in our life. We don't know what our life's going to look like 10 years from now. We don't know what our life's going to look like 20 years from now. And we're praying, God, your will be done. Whatever it is in my life, to me, in me, through me, with me, whatever, your will do it. In our church, with our church, anything. In this, in, in this, with our nation, to our nation, in our, we want your will to be done. We can only pray that when we're humble. And we will only pray that when we trust him. When there are things we do not know, our obligation is to trust God. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. So when they'd come together, they'd asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So he says, look, the the kingdom is coming. He's told that. He's revealed that. He's revealed that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom of of Israel is coming. Restoration. He's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. But they don't need to know any more than that. That's all they need to know. They just need to trust him. It's not for them to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed. What is it for them to do? To trust. To know if he said it, it will happen. If he said that he will work your life for your good, it will happen. Even in the midst of great sorrow and sadness, and you're looking and you say, I don't know how this can be for my good, but I trust you that you promise it will be. There has to be trust. We need to trust God, even in the midst, like I said, of difficult situations. First Peter. I mean, I'm not going to go back and preach First Peter, but man, this is full of stuff here. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Job is not the only person to suffer by God's will. And he's not going to be the last. And to suffer not because he deserved it, not not as a consequence of his sin. 
but to suffer because it was God's will. What do you do in these moments? You have to entrust your souls to a creator who is what? Faithful. Faithful. And then what do you do? And then you keep doing good. So even in the midst of suffering, if you, how do you know if you're really, so you pray, your will be done, something difficult comes, and you're like, I I prayed for your will to be done, but I didn't know it was this, but I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you in the midst of this really difficult thing, this thing I didn't want, this thing has shaken my life, or that I'm looking at my future, and I, I just see all these different ways it could go, and I'm not sure that I like any of them. What do I do in the midst of How do I trust you and say, your will be done even as it's happening. And I'm saying, I'm not sure that, I, that this is what I was asking for. How do you trust God? You, 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 you trust him. And what, what will that look like if you tr- do truly trust him with your soul? You will, even in the midst of great suffering, keep doing good. You will so trust the faithfulness of your God that you will not just throw yourself in a heap on the floor and be done until this is over. You will, you will straighten up. You will straighten uh, your, your, your weak knees. You will strengthen them. You will push on in doing good. Why? Because he is faithful and because you trust him. Even in the midst of suffering, Peter says. Even in the midst of suffering, you're not just, this is why I said, when it comes to suffering as Christians, we don't want to just get through it. Our job is to glorify God in it. Not just make it through, but glorify God in. In fact, sometimes by God's will, suffering will come your way, not because you did bad, but because you did good. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I mean, we have to trust God so much that when suffering comes, because we've done the good. Even if you've raised kids, right? And you're, you're trying to get these kids and, and, and something happens to them after they did something really, they feel like if they've done something good, they should never have chores for the rest of their life. Right? I I have to still take the trash out? Earlier today I said I loved you. Uh, And it's like, oh, well, you know, whoo. And that that idea here, we, we think, hey, I'm doing good, Lord. I'm doing good. Surely if we're doing good, nothing will befall us. And here we see Peter say, sometimes it can be God's will for you to suffer for doing good. And if you do not trust God, If you have not entrusted your soul to the faithfulness of your creator, then if you're doing good and bad stuff keeps happening, what are you going to do? You're going to stop doing good. I tried this. I've tried to live this type of life. I've tried to do this. I tried to do what's right. And look at what happened. I tried to be a good husband, but God didn't know what my wife was like. I tried to be a good parent, but God didn't know what my children were going to be like. I tried to be a good church member, but man... All of these things. And we go, I tried, I tried. God says, look, you can sometimes suffer because you're doing good. And this is one of the things I always have to, I always teach new Christians. Look, if you think Satan would quit messing with you when you started believing the gospel, you really don't understand what Satan's trying to do. The reason he wasn't messing with you is you were already on his team. Um, The reason it's gotten difficult now is because you're doing the good. And so, Christian, if you think doing the good is going to lessen the difficulty in your life, is going to lessen the spiritual attacks, is going to lessen the conflict, then we need to pick up our Bibles and read again. And know that sometimes it will be God's will for you to suffer while you do good. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust God's will even in that. So if we're going to pray, God, your will be done. What has to happen? We have to be humble. We have to recognize you're God. I'm not. You don't need my counsel. You don't need me to say, is this really the best thing? In fact, I need to trust you. I need to trust your faithfulness. I need to know that I can trust you in the midst of a bad situation. I need to know that I can trust you even when the bad comes because I've done what's right. I still have to trust you. And the last thing, the final response uh, for us is glory. Humility, trust, and then glory. It might not seem that that we can glorify God in in what we don't know, but we can. Because although we may not know the the whys and the hows, again, we know 
the who. We know the one in control of what's going to happen. Now, often what people are tempted to do is to, in, in difficult situations or when it comes to God's will, is to try to explain away God's involvement in things as if that somehow helps. Well, God didn't have anything to do with that. You know, oh, it's just a, the fallen world. God hated this. And it, but that's not what the Bible tells us we should do with the secret will of God. Instead of shame, God's secret will brings him glory. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But what? But let him glorify God in that name. Humility and trust in your life will give birth to glory. When you, when you and I understand that we don't know God's plan, but we do know our God. When we know who he is and we know who we are and we have confidence in him, we trust him. Then when difficult times come our way, when suffering comes our way by the hand of that same God, we are going to be able to give him glory because we know it is going to be for our good because we know who it is that promised us that it would be. So that rather than being ashamed when we suffer as Christians, we can glorify God even in the midst of our suffering. Even when we pray, God, your will be done and his will brought suffering our way. Suffering because of who we are in him. Suffering because of our association with him. And instead of shucking him off, thinking, oh, well, that'll shuck the suffering off. Instead of doing that, we glorify God even in the midst of the suffering. Why would we glorify God in those moments? Because the Bible tells us that our suffering is actually God's grace on us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says this. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. If you remember when we preach through this, it's not a gracious thing, it's just the word grace. For this is grace. This is a grace. When you're mindful of God... And you endure suffering or you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. It is grace to suffer for the Lord even unjustly. It is a grace because it's God's will that has brought it to you. Why has God brought it to you? What does this mean? God, does it mean you don't care about me? Does this mean you, that I'm unimportant and so you just let this happen? What does this mean? This too is grace. And so if we will trust God and we'll be humble and we'll know this is grace, what will we do? We will glorify God when the grace comes, even when it is a suffering grace. The Bible tells us it's actually a blessing. First Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sakes, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't be troubled. Why? Because this is blessing. It's actually going to be a blessing on you. You need to remember that. You need to hope in that. You need to endure and keep doing good. You need to trust your soul to a faithful creator. Peter's saying all these things. First Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So we can know even when we're going through the will of God that we don't understand why this would be his will. Why God? How is this going to work out, God? He has not revealed those things to us. Even when we're going through that, we know that we haven't sinned. Our mind is fixed on God. That what we're going through is grace. It is a blessing. And that will allow us to glorify God in the midst of a will that we don't know and may not otherwise understand. But again, we don't know the whys, we don't know the hows, but we do know the who. And when you know the who that, that is bringing this into your life, then in your humility and in your trust, you can bring him glory. And so those are the three helpful ways for us to hold on to the secret things of God. We talk about the secret things of God rather than it being out in this, this vast sort of unknown thing that, that our lives are sort of just being drugged through and we don't know what to do and what's gonna, how we're going to mess it up or, or anything like that. And that's not how the Bible tells us to think about the, the secret things of God. 
What do we do with the, the stuff we, we don't and, and cannot know? One, stay humble. Stay humble. You are not God, and that's a good thing, okay? So stay humble. You're not God, and that's good. That's, if you were God, just, I mean, you, you just imagine how much trouble you had making dinner last night or how much trouble you had with, that, with your car that you can't fix. I mean, it's good that you're not God. It is good. Think about all the times you thought this was the right thing to do. And in the end, you walk back and go, well, that was pretty foolish on my part. That never happens with the Lord. He's always right. And he's always doing the good. Be thankful that he is God. Be, be humble. Continue to stay humble. And then trust. Trust God. God is going to do what he promised. He's going to. We don't need to know the when. We don't need to know the how. We don't need to know the why in order for us to trust him entrust your souls you've entrusted him with your souls surely you can trust him with the every day-to-day activity that happens around your bodies and what will that trust look like you'll you'll show that you trust him when you keep doing good even in the midst of the things you don't understand (laughs) thank you oh that's okay I, would it be funny if I took a sip and it's like really hot? Mm. It is. Mm. I don't know if I spoke that into existence or not, but. Mm. And then the last thing, give glory to God. The last response, what do you do with the secret will of God? The things you don't know about the will of God, the things you don't know what he's going to bring your way, the things that you're looking at that he has already brought your way and you're going, why God, did you bring this my way? The things that you're going through and you're looking at and saying, why God is this happening? How is this your will? And then the things that you're looking at in the future and you don't even know, you don't even know what they could be. But as many of you know, you've probably got a thousand of them that you don't want them to be. You don't know that. What do you do? You're able to look at that and give him glory. You're able to look at what you've gone through, what you're going through, and give him glory. You're not, you're not giving blind glory to God in that. And recognize that. You're not just blindly saying, you know, glory be to God, glory be to God, glory be to God. This is not, I don't, you know. He is glorious precisely because of what you do know about him. When you give God glory for what you've gone through, when you give God glory for what you're going through, when you're able to give him glory for what you, you, I don't know, God, what you're going to bring my way. But I do know that it'll be for my good. When you give glory to him, it's not, you're not just saying that to say it. And if you are just saying that to say it because you think that's what you're supposed to say, then again, we go back to step one. Get your eyes on the Lord. Because when you see who God is, you will not be able to stop giving. He will be more glorious than any suffering that you've gone through. He'll be more glorious than any suffering or difficulty that you're going through now. And he will be more glorious and good than anything that might come your way. All of it will come by his hand. All of it will come ultimately for your good. So let's give him glory when we pray. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment just to to have a time to, to turn to the Lord now. Because of what we've seen from these passages, he's set up. I mean, he's set up. He's not afraid to talk about his will and the difficulty that it might bring your way. He doesn't hide the fact that you might suffer for doing good. He doesn't hide that and that that's his will. He doesn't lay it off on someone else. He lets you know. I mean, he is faithfully good, even even in the suffering, letting you know that you can trust him. Letting you know that in the end, it is a grace to you. It's a blessing that you can give him glory. So come now to him. Let's begin by humbling ourselves. Let's just take a moment and humble ourselves before God and admit that sometimes we've been guilty of thinking the world would be better if we were God of our lives. Because we question what the actual God does. We question him. We question his desire. We question his will. We're not sure. We we fear what he might do to us. What he might bring into our lives. So let's just take a moment and humble ourselves and say, God, I am so glad that you are God and I am not. I'm glad. I am, I am infinitely glad.
even when our hearts become rebellious in the moments of suffering, moments of difficulty, the moments of doubt or anxiety, even when pride starts to well up, then God, we know it shouldn't. So pray now that he would just, just keep us humble and that he would help us to trust him. And that was the second, so we're humble and then we, we trust God. Do you trust him? I mean, he knows your heart right now. And you're praying to him, he's, he sees. I mean, can you, can you tell him right now, Father, I trust you. I trust you with what's happened in my life. I trust you with what's going on in my life. And God, I trust you with the infinite places that my life might go. I trust you. I don't, I, I am not afraid because I trust you. And maybe you need to pray, Father, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's okay too. Because he's the one who shows us sometimes when we have a lack of trust or when our trust is failing or fading or when we're struggling underneath it, he needs to strengthen us. He's the one that says, run to me. I am the rock. I will be your tower. I will be your refuge. So run to him because you trust him. And then give him glory. Are there things that you've gone through in life that you have not given God glory for? Things that you've seen as mistakes. Problems. Have you been able to so trust him that you can give him glory even in the most difficult of situations? Is there something that you're going through right now and it's hard and you're struggling and you see ups and downs and sideways and all these other things and and you're getting frustrated and you're getting tired and you're beginning to question rather than give him glory. Maybe you were giving him a lot of glory at first. You're real excited to be going through this, real excited to be, but now, now you're weak. You just want it to be over. You're able to still glorify God for this grace, this blessing, because you trust him. Because you know who he is and you know he's promised these things. It's he that promised this. Father, we come to you and God, we do not know your secret will. We cannot. And Father, it is good for us not to know that or Father, you would have told it to us. And so Father, I pray that you will work humility in our lives. I pray that you would keep us humble. That you'd remind us that we are not, we are not God and that's a great thing. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you. We would entrust our very souls to you while doing good in our lives now. Because you are a faithful creator. You are our savior, our redeemer. We know, God, we can trust you. And then, Father, help us to give you glory. To be so humble and so fixed on trust that, God, we can glorify you in any situation. We can trust that it is a grace that we go through, that it it is a blessing, that we are blessed in the midst of it because you are a good God and you do not do anything to us spitefully or frivolously, always intentionally, always leading ultimately to our glorification as well. And so we glorify you, whatever path you have put us on or putting us on now will put us on in the future. We can say confidently, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even in my life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.